Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I fully lost myself and lost touch with why I loved exercising, why I ate the way I did. So I started social media pretty much around the time Instagram yeah. became a thing. The following just kind of organically happened. Yeah. And it was so weird. I always had quite a balanced diet up until mm. that point. And then I just became super obsessive and it took years to break yeah. those habits. My size suddenly was a real big issue. In fact, my New York agency took me off their books publicly. I was going in for measurements every Monday and Friday and they were basically telling me things like, if you get hungry, have an apple or a Diet Coke. Like it was ridiculous, the messaging. They even actually at one point said that a lot of girls take up smoking to suppress hunger. Yeah, it was, it was quite a toxic year. For everyone tuning into the podcast now, I'm about to start, but I'm actually just going to be real first. So if you could just wait a second. Okay, finished my be real. So I'm back. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Working Hard, Hardly Working. Today, 18-year-old me would be screaming, maybe even crying, and maybe even a tantrum on the floor. I am talking to Steph Claire Smith, who was one of the original people I followed on social media when starting a fitness account, when trying to get into fitness, all of this. She was one of the absolute OGs and has had a huge journey since then and like really publicly has grown through various different parts of the fitness industry as it's changed. I mean, back then it was so refreshing to even have like someone who wasn't talking about fad diets, et cetera, et cetera. But even as we talk about in the podcast, you know, the industry's even moved away from that point of looking at clean eating, et cetera, et cetera. And it was just really, really interesting to have a deep dive into the real BTS of the modeling industry, her journey trying to make it in the US and ultimately deciding that that wasn't what she wanted after they, you know, even told her to start smoking as a way of suppressing her appetite and wanted to get her down to, you know, a size double zero. We all know what the industry was like back then and actually what the modeling industry is like a lot today. But it was just such a good conversation talking about the original, I guess, fitness social media, the Fitspo days, the the Tumblr days, the clean eating, kind of like all of the different fruits from the supermarket all laid out. And I remember I used to be so upset that I couldn't get dragon fruit, like all the people in Australia with their like bright prank fruit. Anyway, but I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I thought it was really like such an interesting conversation going from the beginning of her journeys, trying to do modeling and moving abroad to kind of try and make it as an international kind of supermodel and looking at the Victoria's Secret days and then going to the start of Instagram and how different Instagram is now and how she's been able to pivot her business through all of those different times and create something that really resonates with a huge audience. And I really admire her a lot and I think she's done so fantastically and it's been so great to kind of watch her journey. There is a trigger warning in this episode for eating disorders, so please do bear that in mind. But I hope you all really enjoy this episode. And as always, I hope you have a lovely day. And please do not forget to rate and subscribe to the podcast. It helps new people discover it. And also just gives me a better rating, which actually really boosts my ego. So thanks so much. Stephanie Miller, known online as Steph Claire Smith, is the COO and co-founder of Australian health and wellness app, Keep It Cleaner. From Melbourne, Australia, Steph started her career modeling age seven. After moving to America to pursue this as a career, Steph was exposed to the extremely toxic side of the industry, which led to disordered eating, negative body image, and an unhealthy relationship with exercise. She was told to start smoking as it's a good appetite suppressant, the best fruit to eat with apples as they fill you up the most, and if you need energy, to have a black coffee or a Diet Coke. Realizing that living like this was massively impacting both her physical and mental health, Steph moved back to Australia, where she met her business partner, Laura. In 2015, Steph and Laura launched their first ebook, Keep It Cleaner. They saw a gap in the market that was filled with a lot of fad diets, quick fixes, and guilt around food. They wanted to take it back to basics and create a program that makes you feel good and celebrate how a healthy lifestyle can be varied for everyone. Fast forward several years and they've launched a kick subscription platform filled with recipes and workouts and have their own line of over 80 health food products stocked in supermarkets across Australia. 
Alongside her business, Steph also co-hosts The Kick podcast and in May 2021 gave birth to her beautiful son, Harvey. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, thanks for joining me. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I'm actually Thanks for coming. You. That's okay. It's made it easy. <laughs> thanks for coming here with me. I just want to get straight into it. We're just going to go way, way back to the beginning of your modelling career, mm. which I believe was when you were seven. Yeah, it was, <laughs> I was, yeah, very young. I did it for a couple of years when I was a kid. Basically, my parents picked up fairly quickly that I liked being in front of the camera. Yeah. Anytime mum got it out for family events and stuff, I was just like... I want to be in it or, yeah. or at least taking it. Yeah. I did it for a couple of years as a kid and then as most people do, except I feel like this generation is missing out on the awkward teenage years. My teenage years at high school, I went through a bit of an awkward phase and so I didn't do any <laughs> modelling through that time <laughs> and just kind of focused on finishing up with school. But it was a passion of mine that kind of stuck through that time. Even I was in a lot of studio arts classes and I'd put my hand up if someone needed like a muse or someone mm. to use in the shoot. So yeah. I was obviously still super interested and it was when I graduated graduated and finished school that I signed with my agency who's still my modeling agency today back when you were getting into mm. those types of jobs I saw that you had some like quite big name jobs at, at that mm. time even were your parents super supportive of you kind of doing that would they take you to castings etc yeah I mean from memory like there wasn't actually that many castings as a kid I think it was more so just if you fitted the mold then they'd book you for the job mm. but I remember getting pulled out of school and like going to shoot for like Barbie mag I'd go back to school that afternoon with like pigtails and a bit of lip gloss on and thought I was top shit yeah I mean absolutely yeah. like I really would you know that like <laughs> dream of like being scouted in like like I'd be like going to Tesco not look like I have to disclaim it was not like I was looking good but you like go to the shops and be like mm, yeah today could be my day like you always heard those rumors of people getting like scouted yeah in, like, I did not get scouted no. I certainly like put, <laughs> I myself, put myself in forward. Yeah. well I feel like I just feel like that was like the absolute like yeah. teenage dream like 100%. I used to walk around and be like maybe today's today <laughs> like two foot tall me yeah as soon as you left school yeah. was it then that you decided you knew you wanted to model yeah. or was that were there kind of a few things that you were weighing up in terms of your interests? Yeah, I mean, throughout school I wasn't super academic. I was always sporty and arty. So a lot of the subjects I did towards the end of my schooling was around those things like mm. food tech, studio art, um, health, PE. And it's funny because at the time I kind of thought like I was just doing the subjects that I enjoyed, which made sense to me because I was I was never really super academic. I wasn't striving for a huge enter score to get into some, you know, a really important course that was going to lead me to like being a doctor or a lawyer. I mm. knew that was like never in my, mm -hmm. not in my rules at all and not, not interest either. But I kind of just thought, oh, I'll do the subjects that I enjoy and I'm happy to go to TAFE and, and study something like being a PE teacher. I love kids. I love being active, something like that I would love to do. But then I had this huge interest in photography and then still had this yearning I suppose for modeling mm. and it was kind of at that point that I decided along with my parents support that I'd have a gap year and not go straight to uni try to figure out what I wanted to do and in that time see if I could pick up some modeling and to be honest it was I was super fortunate once I signed with my agency um, and became available full-time I had to quit my part-time job at Boost Juice to keep up with the work so it was really really yeah, exciting so it was an exciting off. first year and after that first year, I was kind of like, yeah, I reckon I could do yeah. this as a career and <laughs> stuck with it. At that time, I know that obviously the modelling industry, I still believe, is quite toxic. Oh, yeah. But I think that at the time, from what I could see based on like, <laughs> based on my experience of the modelling yeah. industry, which was watching America's Next Top Model, yes. I feel like it was a very openly toxic time. Yeah. Like it was permitted to be that toxic. Yeah. Did you know before you got into the industry that, I, I think it kind of feeds into the glamour. Like yeah. it was part of that like Kate Moss, like yeah. heroin chic yeah. type time. And like yeah. that was the way it was very much marketed and almost that was glamorous. It yeah. was like, if you can get through this, yeah. you're meant to be here. Was that your kind of perception of the modelling industry? I mean, I was definitely aware of it. I was obsessed with all things like Victoria's Secret and everything yeah. throughout high school. Um, so Classic. I was aware of that sort of stuff. But I think I was, I suppose, for the industry that I wanted to go into, fortunate to have quite a fast metabolism and mm. my genetic makeup was sitting me at a size eight kind of naturally um, in Australian sizes. So for me, it was like I kind of already fitted that mould. And that was when I was like 18. And it wasn't really until after I signed probably a year or so in that I started to develop more into like my womanly figure. I was quite a late bloomer when it came to puberty and stuff like that. Still definitely like um, kind of that sitting at that average 
eight to ten Australian size, which is fine, but it wasn't until I went overseas that right. that became an issue. And I know that in the US as well, even with those like intricacies, Australian eight is a US four, yeah. and they're wanting like zero yes, double zero, exactly. yeah. which is crazy for people listening from the UK. I believe that's like a four and a two, yeah. which I be- like as in, which is what I was when I was probably twelve, right? To be honest, like yeah. And so I think that was that was really hard because in my first year of modeling here in Australia. I was fortunate to kind of still fit the standard size in mm. a lot of the the jobs that I was running. Um, so I didn't really run into any issues where my agency had to talk about my size or anything mm. like that. But then it was when I went overseas and signed with an agency over in New York and LA that those kind of conversations started to happen. And I was just so excited to be over there. Yeah. Absolutely. And like wanted to grasp that opportunity and do anything to succeed. Yeah. So I just listened to them and like kind of soaked up that obsession with losing weight. It was quite a toxic year, but it was also a huge developmental year for me. What made the decision for you to go over to the US? Did you sign with an agency over there? Was it your agency sending you over there? And how long was that after your gap year? So it was in 2014 and I graduated 2011. So I'd done like two and a half years in Australia before I wanted to go overseas and having quite a successful career here in Oz. But for us, there's like a ceiling in Australia. And until you go and make it overseas, you don't become that kind of like really well-known at the time my drive was like I want to be that well-known international supermodel yeah 100% that was my dream and I couldn't do that in Australia alone and so it was kind of one of those challenges that you wanted to like go and like prove to everyone Mm. that you could do it yeah and I think that was the reason why I stayed over there for so long I mean definitely didn't stay there for as long as some of my friends got sucked into doing so I was there for about 10 months um in that first year and I reckon I got three jobs in that 10 months that I was there yeah well, yeah, because I think also there is this kind of perception that if you go over to the US or you're yeah. told that you can go over to the US yeah. or whatever, it will be this sudden, like, fast-paced, super glamorous, yeah. all of this. Yeah, and I totally forgot that it meant I was starting from scratch again. Like, no one of knew course. who I was over there. And not only did no one know who I was, but it was a different market. Mm. So my size suddenly be, was a real big issue. In fact, my New York agency took me off their books, off the website publicly, until I was like worthy to be sent to castings with their oh my name next to mine. And so I was going in for measurements every Monday and Friday and they were basically telling me things like stop squatting, like take up hot yoga, like if you get hungry, have an apple or a Diet Coke. Like it was ridiculous, the messaging. It was – when I think back to it, I'm like, I cannot believe <laughs> Oh, shit, that people say. They even actually at one point said that a lot of girls take up smoking to suppress hunger. And I was like, sick. Sure. Yeah. And I was really fortunate as I grew up to be in a household. Like my mum, she's so amazing. And I think now thinking back to how she was with me as a teen, I'm so grateful because she never followed any diets or even Mm. if she did or even if she was interested or insecure about anything on her body, that was never like reflected around me. I never knew anything about it. Which I think is so important and I think we often forget how much of an impact we get from not just like the media growing up but yeah like the people around us. Like I have friends whose parents were constantly dieting or whatever it might be. I think I'm really grateful for that because what it meant was Mm. when these things were happening of course as I said at the start I just wanted to do anything to be there and to succeed Mm. so I listened to them and I tried to do things and changed up my routine and I fully lost myself and lost touch with why I loved exercising, why I ate the way I did. I always had quite a balanced diet up until Mm. that point. And then I just became super obsessive and it took years to break those habits, like long, long time. And not just physical habits, but the thought patterns, like no word of a lie. Like today I am super comfortable with who I am Mm. and I have a super balanced approach to the way I live and exercise and everything. However, it doesn't mean that there's not days where those old thoughts come back up and those guilty feelings come back up. I'm just better at squashing them. It is always said that with eating disorders, you never truly get rid of it. I think a lot of women have had like a disordered relationship with food at points. Thankfully, I never had it like to an extreme extent, but I remember even like the years that I would like count my macros so obsessively that it would be Mm. like, oh no, I want a burrito this evening. So I'm going to have to have like just this, this morning or whatever it might be. I mean, the last time I did that was probably like seven years Mm. ago or something. You know the nutritional value of everything. So even if you don't want to be paying attention to it, it is kind of this underlying understanding. I don't know what you have here, but we've just had this law come into play in the UK where every I'm not into it. I've heard about it. It is ridiculous. Yeah. Like every single menu yeah. has 
Yeah. Calorie intake on it. I have such a good relationship with food now that that's the last thing I want to lose because yeah. it's just so tough oh, to can't yeah. get over. And it's taken so long to get to that point. But like, if I didn't know that number in my head, I would it would never actually affect things and nothing would change the yeah. next day. It's all like based on our perception. I can't right. believe we're even like going in that direction. I know it seems really odd and backwards. I was really fortunate to have not gone down full that like, kind of calorie yeah. or macro counting, but I... I kind of had almost the opposite. Um, I ended up going down binge eating um, kind of route. So I was so obsessive with, I suppose, the restrictions of the types of food I would avoid. And there were foods that I used to love and happily have in my routine. And I do now today, but they were perceived as like super bad. So I'd avoid them at all costs, which meant that I would overcompensate with all of the hashtag, not hashtag, (laughs) quotation marks healthy foods that I believed was like well, yeah. this isn't going to do any damage to my body well, yeah. and I'd go overdo it people are probably thinking how did you stay over there for 10 months if you only had a couple of jobs hmm. I was lucky enough to have a contract with some Australian clients so okay. I often came back did a job kind of let me stay over there really to afford it and I often did like kind of free tests and stuff like that, test shoots with Mm. photographers just to kind of muck around and get my name out there. But it didn't really work out. But it got to a point where I just missed home. I felt really homesick. The people that I wanted to, you know, like my family, my friends, I wanted to be around them again. My partner, Josh, who we'd been doing long distance over that time, he had been on a really long kind of traveling trip and he was finally home like a month before I went home. So I think it just got to this point where I was like, I feel like I'm losing myself. And it just got to a point again where it's funny when I reflect on my relationship with my old agency, not my current one, I would just do anything that they said, but it Mm. did get to a point where I started to push back a little bit. I found these old emails not long ago where I started to talk back a bit and say things like, well, can you just send me to beauty clients? Like, what about hair, face, like that surely my size doesn't matter. And I just started to really push that kind of thing and they would just ignore it. I don't think that at that age and given that potential opportunity, I would have just thought, it's the price you have to pay to be in this industry. And that shows such strength to be in a position of just being like, okay, I'm understanding you say I need this for this, but what if I now have realized that I don't want that? I want, you know, as you say, beauty clients, whatever it might be instead. It's such a mature understanding for you to kind of like even be in that position where Mm. you were like, both of those things, both being able to push back to that agency, who's probably a lot of terrifying people who also at some point, you know, they could just be like, "Eh, no, do you know what, and make your decision for you. But also just being like, actually being able to say, maybe my success looks slightly different. Like mm-hmm. maybe it's not the international supermodel thing. Yeah. Maybe it's me do it being really great at the yeah. jobs I do in Australia yeah. or whatever it might yeah. be. Thank God you had that understanding. Yes. Yeah. That could have got so, so toxic. Yeah, and I would just compare it to the relationship that I had with my Australian agency, which I, I absolutely love. Like they've been loyal for me and I've been loyal for them for the last like 11 years. And I have such a good relationship with them where we can both be like completely honest. And I kind of missed that. And I noticed that that was a big difference. Before I left New York, I did sign with my now agency over there and they were wonderful and Mm. had a very different kind of dialogue with me and had a different understanding of of where they were thinking I would fit anyway. Right. And it's the types of modeling too, because commercial is so different Different. from, yeah. And I can understand that if you're putting someone who doesn't have a naturally double zero body yeah. shape and into I'm one. on six foot, so <laughs> well, yeah. You know? And so it's like yeah. that's not gonna, yeah. that's not kind of gonna work. And when in this journey did you start social media? So I started social media pretty much as soon as I finished high school. As soon okay. as I started modeling, I had an account. I believe it was around the time Instagram yeah. became a thing in 2012. And I started it purely just to show my friends and family what I was getting up to because um, I was modeling and I was yeah. traveling a lot and. I would just share that kind of stuff. And then the following just kind of organically happened. Yeah. And it was so weird to to grapple with. I think at the time, I remember when I first started Instagram, there was someone with 12,000 followers and I was like, oh my God, who is yeah. this person? Because it wasn't like a known singer or an athlete. It was just this person. I always think back to that time when it was like, influencers were people who were already in the public eye. Like you were, it was people who were existing I don't know, musicians or yeah, actors or, t- t- or whatever t- yeah. it might be. And those were the influencers. And the first few, like, you were definitely in that, like, first kind of, like, <laughs> field of people who, like, started really gaining a following. 
and it was like digital first, like mm. it was social media first, mm. which much, must have just been such a strange concept because I feel like I was kind of in, like I was a few waves later, but even then that was weird. Yeah. Like even then among people at school, it was very like, oh, for sure. What the fuck is yeah. going on here? For sure. It was weird. It was it was quite cool to be a part of it though because I remember even with my modeling agency here, I was the first one that had a following. And so that was really confusing because it was kind of like, well, how do we – deal with clients now because yeah. like there's some clients who want me just for a shoot and then there's some that want me to post like that shouldn't necessarily go through you should it because I'm yeah. managing it and then it was like this really open com- conversation um we have a really good understanding about it now and obviously there's some clients that want me for the campaign and then also for posting so we've worked through that but it was really interesting like we we had to work together and like learn the ropes around mm. it and now it's just like a given even at the time where I started you would have to beg a company to send you gifting in return for like 20 yeah. posts like it was not seen as like now people send gifting with no guarantee of a post obviously yeah. because it's a type of advertising yeah but it was such a different understanding Definitely. like there was no way that companies would pay more for something on social media because they just saw it as this oh and I picked up on it pretty quickly like I I, I was buying from things and then posting about it as if it had been sent because mm. I was like, oh, that looks cool. Yeah. And then stuff started to get sent and I was like, whoa, this is insane. But it was years until I actually started getting paid for it. Yeah. Years and years. I think people years. think that that for, it's probably, it's like great to be in that first wave, but it also <laughs> must be quite annoying. So you look <laughs> at people like... who were like that much bigger, who are that much bigger now, whatever, yeah. whatever it might be. And it's like, in terms of actually being able to use influencers without payment or yeah. with really low payment, whereas yeah. now if you're paying influencers, unless they're ones with great engagement, you're unlikely to get positive ROI, like all of these kind of various yeah. different things. But it must have been so weird working yeah. at that stage where it was like, A, what is this? B, do we charge for things? Yeah. And then also being in the industry where it's like, now does someone want me more or less or like any of yeah. these things because of social media? Oh, yeah, 100%. Like you started going to castings and one of the questions I asked was how many followers do you have or like write down your account. It was a very odd time. But the coolest thing that came from it though is Kick. Like Laura and I met through modelling and who's my business partner mm-hmm. and best friend and we met through the modelling industry but we connected on a lot of the struggles that we both went through with um, eating and food and through that, we we launched an ebook together, and within that ebook, that was funded through brands that sponsored the ebook, and they were brands that we started to work with. And the only reason we thought that we could even do an ebook and that it might actually get traction was because we I'd worked with brands and it had gone well. Yeah, and, and you'd so I was like, oh, okay, so but that's so this transactional thing like, going on here. Yeah, but that's so <laughs> smart and so like I think we forget how much like okay, sure that's a norm now. Like influencers selling their own products is a real norm. We didn't even know influencers could sell other people's yeah. products, let alone set up something that's literally in their own yeah. name in order to do that. I think that's incredibly smart, but also. At that time, just to kind of set the scene, yeah, yeah. I just kind of want to know, like, what type of size in terms of, like, following, what kind of pace that was growing at and what type of content you were posting? Yeah, for sure. So I reckon my following, I think it was around 400,000 people around 2015. Which is huge. <laughs> at, like, as in, like, enormous. Like, at that time, that would have been, like, percentile-wise. Yeah. That must have been yeah. so high up. And it was interesting as well because it was about 25% of them were, were Australian. So often I'd go overseas and people would recognize me and I was like, this is the weirdest thing ever. But it was great. I mean, it was a great base and we took advantage of it and um, wanted to get a message out there because for Laura and I, that the space at the time with fitness and everything, as you kind of mentioned, it's changed a lot. Mm. And social media at the time was was very much about fad diets, quick fixes, this is good food, this is bad food, calorie counting, all of that sort of messaging. And then if it wasn't, if it was the more kind of wellness message, you'd make a recipe from, you know, this cookbook that was, you know, supposedly healthy and full of nutrients, which it would have been full of nutrients, but the ingredients would have cost you like a hundred bucks alone for that one recipe yeah, and you'd never right. use them again and it would taste like shit. So it was yeah. like, this isn't very motivating. Yeah. Um, and so we kind of just wanted to play in the space of let's take things back to basics. Let's mm. cook food that we did as a family when we were growing up. We didn't yeah. think about calories. We thought about whole foods, like everyone should prioritize whole foods, but it wasn't at the extent of having to spend so much money and you can just get everything from the supermarket. It was just a realistic way of 
healthy eating. Yeah, which is so important. And I think a lot of the time now we look back at that kind of like quote unquote Fitzbo era. Yeah. And it's really easy to demonize it. Yeah. But I think also looking at it contextually yeah. in the point of the fact that that was a leap from what the rest of the industry was doing at that time. That was still the time when, I mean, tabloids are still terrible now, but like that was still the time where they would post celebrities on the front of that yeah. and be like, gained 20 pounds or like whatever it might be. And it was like very fad diety. So even to have a better understanding of what like healthy looks like, yeah, sure, it wasn't the, but like, as in like I was there at that time, definitely the way I would talk about certain yeah. things would be so problematic oh, now same. and I would never would. Same, yeah. But it's also like looking at that contextually, that's such a difference from what was happening in the rest yeah. of the industry and the media and the fact that you were coming from like an industry where they were being like take up smoking, yeah. actually <laughs> to be like, here's like a, healthy colorful meal that's yeah. filled with nutrients and that's not super expensive whatever it would be is it. <laughs> incredibly like refreshing i think we look back a lot of the time and we're it's really easy to feel like mm. yeah oh yeah <laughs> like definitely wouldn't be doing that now yeah. but actually it has to move in steps yeah and i think sure. that was one of the biggest early things that influencers were really good for of course there was unhealthy things within the industry too but like it was actually starting to inject a bit of reality that wasn't created by media yeah which I think was incredibly important to even just get like the insight and that's why I mean that's why people started following everyone because they were like yeah. oh my god I can see what a model's doing from day to day yeah and that was obviously incredibly glamorous yeah yeah of course of course I think we've all learned so much yeah. so much but I think what Laura and I are really proud of with kick is that like at our core you know having a sustainable approach to healthy living like that yeah. that's been there from the, the ebook like the first recipe in the ebook and is still our main core message to this day so so it's something that we feel like, you know, different fads are going to come and go when it comes to fitness and exercise. That's just the way. And some trends are healthy to jump mm. on, but a lot of them can be problematic yeah. or triggering. So I think we've just been really. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today proud to kind of stick to our guns because I mean you would know as well I know you obviously own like multitude of businesses in the space but there's certain things that works really well in marketing um because people are so triggered by right. lose weight or like get mm. abs in five minutes that is something that we've avoided to stay true to our yeah. values right but at that comes like a cost to the business because it would be so easy for us to market that way but it's really important to us that that's, that's our core message and that's what our community care most about. Yeah, 100%. And I almost think that I really did realise, like, one of my observations was that during lockdown, mm. when the fitness industry became actually open to a much wider yeah, subsection sure. of people, before that point, I think it had been, you'd follow people within the fitness industry or for workouts, or whatever it might be, if you were kind of a regular gym goer or wanted to be a regular gym goer. And then I think in kind of lockdown during, mm. like, COVID times, it opened up to far more people because it was like, okay, well, we're all going to need to keep active. We're all inside. So like, let's, yeah. you know, follow this. And as far as I was concerned, it kind of took this like eight year step back yeah. in kind of being like, everything was like 10 minutes, this five minutes, yeah. this all of this. And the, I mean, I very much used to do it. I mm -hmm. used to do the like 10 minutes, all of mm -hmm. whatever it might be, or like, like this is my progress within like three months and mm -hmm. it's like in terms of you know muscle growth and mm -hmm. it's like mm, mm. <laughs> gonna be hard to grow muscle in that time whatever it might be but we've all kind of grown and we've all learned and we've all been able to kind of grow with the industry towards yeah. better things but I did find it really interesting that at the time of lockdown it was like because the industry got opened up to a much more commercial thing probably people who would usually consume media rather than social media I was like looking around like oh my god yeah I can't believe this is like almost happening again yeah Oh, for sure. And I mean, people just had too much time on their mm. hands again. And I remember in lockdown, my routine changed a lot too. Like I suddenly 
I could give myself an hour a day, six mm. days a week. I mean, now being a mum and being out of lockdown and running a business as well, I work out three days a week, maybe four. Mm. Um, but more often than not, it's twenty minute Pilates yeah. workout at home. Like it's yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not excessive. It's not what it used to be. But I think what I've learned is. You know, you do what you can with what you've got. And as long as there's some sort of regular movement, that's what makes me feel good and fuels me. And I think through lockdown, you just had so much time that it was easy to kind of jump in or become obsessed. And as you said, to your point, it also opened up the doors to people who didn't necessarily think that way, which I think is a good and a bad thing, because I think for us to prioritize our health, like that's, that's a positive. That's not a negative to, to, to be consumed by prioritizing our health, but it's when it takes over and, Mm. you know, takes over other aspects of life and becomes obsessive that it's a problem. But I think the positive in it as well is that for a lot of people, the idea of living a healthy lifestyle seems unattainable because they have some sort of perception of it. Like they might think that it means they have to eat clean and like organic produce like every meal every day and that they have to mind their calories or that it it has to be something they're obsessed with to even tick the box of being healthy and then when it comes to exercise it's like it has to make you sweat it has to be challenging you know you have to progress um and all of these things and so people just like it's too much yeah but I think what COVID did was it opened up people's eyes to different ways of training Mm. and and of eating well and it's like people who would never, ever would have thought that they would be ever motivated to work out in their living room. Right. We're able to work out in the living room. And it means that things, people who have busy lifestyles or mums, you know, suddenly realise that there was another way that they could move their body and, yeah. and have that kind of inclusion. And they got used to that. And yes, for sure, we're going back to a new reality where, mm. you know, that hybrid approach of like kind of working out from home and working out in the gym is coming back, which is great. Like I love going to the gym and having like my, you know, stronger strength sessions with my PT and stuff. I definitely love it. And I love group classes like yoga and stuff. So I'm definitely all for it all opening up. But I think it's great because it's opened up for those who may not be able to afford a gym membership or afford a personal trainer or things like that, this other way of staying active, which is good. It's important. Yeah, I think it's incredibly important. And I think that also understanding that, okay, so a 10-minute ab session might be what gets someone who always thought, as you say, that working out was like too much or always had to be in a gym or any of those different things. It's much more likely to be the thing that gets someone into it rather than being like, here's... 10 moves you should be doing in the gym that actually grow your abs and they're all, you know, compound lifts and whatever. And actually that's the obstacle for entry to Mm. that person is going to be so high. And when I talk about the beginning of Kick and when you decided to start that business, what it looked like then versus what it looked like now, could you tell me a little bit about how you and Laura met and how that turned into the business? Yeah, for sure. So we met through modeling. We both were um, in Melbourne Spring Fashion Week in 2013 together and it was our first fashion week so we just kind of connected on that and bonded on that and it was kind of one of those friendships that blossomed really quickly like Mm. you met someone and you feel like you've known them for years kind of vibe so that was really beautiful but then we both spent time overseas Laura did a few months in Europe and I went and did my stint in the US and we stayed in touch over that time and that's when we really kind of bonded over the struggles we were having came back connected on that Um, And at the time, Laura had a blog called Food, Fit and Repeat, where she would just post random recipes and just blog content. I loved recreating her recipes. And so often when people were asking me what recipes I was eating or, you know, where I got my inspiration from, I would say this this blog. So I had this dream, like a literal dream. And this is when ebooks were really big and new at the time. Yeah. And that we created an ebook together of our favorite recipes. So we did it and we literally Googled how to make an ebook. Right. We got one of my closest friends, her boyfriend was studying in design at the time. And so he kind of like pasted something together for us. And we shot over 37 recipes in one day with like this fashion photographer, a friend of ours. And it's funny because like there was like a banana bread that was like three days old when we shot it and it was all slimy. And like, <laughs> but we just, we just, did, we didn't yeah. know. And, you know, my mom was there on the day, like helping us clean. Like it was just, it was very kind of fun project it was absolutely not something that we were thinking oh yeah we'll we'll do this and it's going to succeed and it's going to turn into what it is today it was definitely something we just were passionate about and wanted to do on the side got those brands on board as I kind of mentioned earlier which funded it which was great because it meant from the get-go we weren't out of pocket so they were funding the like production of the whole thing yeah I suppose maybe neither of us had enough faith in it that 
we wanted to like empty our pockets for it. But at the same time, we had enough faith that we could say to a brand like, yeah. jump on board. And, you want to be on board at this. <laughs> yeah. And also to like know the currency that you were like operating in. Like yeah. you, it's going to sell a lot of things and we're yeah. putting it on social media and yeah. like they should want to be part of that. Yeah. Yeah. And so it sold really well. Do you have any figures? We sold, I believe, over 7,000 copies pretty quickly. I don't Incredible. remember exactly, but yeah. it was it was really it was very surprising. Like we were like, oh, okay. And then from there, a bit of community started to form, and they were wanting more. And the thing about an ebook is like, once it's done, it's like, okay, do we do another one? What we ended up doing was kind of revamping Laws's blog and turned it into a subscription blog called Keep a Cleaner. And we started releasing one workout and three recipes a month on there. And subscription was really new at the time, so yeah, that we is started early to get days. a yeah subscription base which was exciting. And we we're like, hey, so this is something's happening here. And then we ended up working with another company and had a website called Kit Girls, which was a program-based website. And really with that company, we worked with them for about a year. We learned so much in the space. And I suppose the biggest thing we learned was like how much we both actually wanted to, to be a part of the, I suppose, the weeds of the business and like mm. be in every corner and yeah. control everything, not just be the faces and not just be in the content, yeah. but, but be a lot deeper in it. And I think one of those big things is like, what does make sense within the influencer industry is like, it makes sense to have people who come in who do the tech or the operations yeah. or whatever, because like, just because you might be known for recipes or fitness, yeah. it doesn't mean you're the best person to develop 100%. like a, you know, the website or do the customer service or any of these things. And I think that's really important. But there is also an element of that where it's like your face is pasted on something that someone else is operating, yeah. which you can only care a certain amount yeah. and do that. Yeah. I realized this pretty quickly mm. too. It was like, you know, I was great at outsourcing from the beginning, like mm. the first year I did it all myself. And then I kind of had other people come in and I would just be on them the whole time mm. because I'd like get completely, I'd like be mortified when someone had a terrible experience mm. and it would just be that the oh, email yeah, had we gone to, to like the, the junk or whatever too. it yeah. might be. Yeah. And it's like, I think there is this understanding that that makes so much more sense, which it does in a lot of yeah. scenarios. Like I will say that outsourcing and getting people to do the things that aren't your expertise is so important, but it's also like when you're putting your face on something, yeah, you get, you sure. yeah and you're yeah. turning people who would usually like your photos into customers, therefore they're paying money to get a good experience. Yeah. And like, it's so easy for people to suddenly just be like, wait, I yeah. really liked you and I have followed you for years and I took my hard-earned money to pay yeah. you something for something. And then if they have a bad experience, like it would literally make me like hyperventilate. Yeah. We were exactly the same when we used to do the customer service and I'm so glad that we don't now. We're super proud. We've got over 8,000 reviews on Apple and five-star reviews, Incredible. which is awesome. Yeah. But like there's obviously been times when, because it's a tech company, yeah. things haven't gone astray, like gone right. Or, you know, it might be someone's single phone that is the issue, not the right. actual app. Well, that's one of the big things as well. It's like if you don't update, then yeah. or like you haven't updated your iOS, yeah. like something is going to go wrong. Something, right? And so, but but what we kind of forget out of like thousands of users, this one comment would come through and we'd be so fixated on it and want like everyone to drop this. So it got to a point where everyone was like, okay, we, we think that we can handle the customer service and yeah. you guys kind of need to not. Yeah. Um, and that was great. And and as you said, I think we are so proud of our team. We have a team like of expertise that are super passionate about what we do and that's awesome because it means that we can have so much autonomy but then also get to collaborate in everything, whether it's like the development of new tech in the, in the app, that's something I'm really close to and I absolutely love, to, you know, the designs that happen on each campaign and the social media strategy, all of that yeah. stuff. We love being a part of it all. We're super fortunate to, that we work with a team that is so collaborative in that light. But as you said, it does get to a point where you've also got to make sure that you're bringing expertise, like you can't be good at everything. And then also when you're the face of the business, and you're the front and the energy and you have to bring that to the community, you can't be 100% in the weeds all the time. Yeah. And I also think that there's the, one of the other misconceptions is the fact that, like, of course, having a business and having a following means that you get pretty much some guaranteed demand. If mm -hmm. you have good engagement, you're mm -hmm. likely to get some guaranteed demand. But on top of that, it means that you need to start a business operating at a level that can cater to thousands of customers. Mm -hmm. And that means you can never have a trial run for something <laughs> that's about to essentially... Yeah. You know, say if you say those seven thousand customers, yeah. if that was a few days in, yeah, for a business to be able to cater to seven thousand yeah. customers, there even if one percent of them has issues, that is days of replying. Yeah. Like as in, like it's a lot of fucking work, yeah. and like that's not to say that it's a bad thing, and that's not to say that it's complaint, but it is a really interesting 
quite complex thing when you think about it is mm. that like how do you start a business mm. with no trial run at mm. a level that can cater to that many people that often you know takes years to get to and yeah. of course that's a huge benefit but actually yeah. it's also a huge risk I mean I'll say that our first ever Tala launch went so well in terms of demand and on it it was it took months to fix yeah like the entire back end mm-hmm. fucked up the like it fucked up things in fulfillment yeah. linked to whose order was what like people were receiving the wrong things it's human error yeah and there's got to be room for it and I think that's the one thing like we've learned as well is we're super open with our community it's the wider community that you're more Mm. concerned about right the kind of colder audience that's the that's the huge risk but if you're super engaged with your own community I mean we've been honest with them at Mm. times and we've like promised a product release that hasn't happened on time or whatever we'll just tell them why yeah but one of the biggest risks that I can think of is when we left that company and decided to go and do our own thing we lost all data all content had to start from scratch and we wanted to launch an app. And so we went off and did that on our own and started our own team. And because of contractual reasons, we couldn't even tell the community of the past program that it was happening. So did they own all of your data, essentially? Yeah. yeah. Which is yeah. We so... own our social media channels. Oh, That's which, thank God, yes. you own that. I mean, to be honest, it wasn't like a toxic ending to that relationship or anything mm. at all. It was really just that we wanted to do it ourselves we wanted to to take it and that was just the contract that we were in so Mm. we accepted that and took that risk and and moved on and we got all of our subscribers back plus more within a day of launch so it was really exciting and reassuring Mm. I think when that happened but it was yeah definitely very very anxious like yeah I can imagine that just being like such a nervous especially like an app is not cheap to create no I mean it costs hundreds of thousands usually yeah so when we launched the app we um had a rev share agreement with an agency Mm -hmm. who built it so that was the way we were able to fund it um and that was great for a long time and we learned a lot working with them but we now have our own in-house dev team which is just awesome it's really great to have people like across the desk and who can be so nimble and just work on your product um so that's been exciting yeah were you nervous to get into that new agency agreement following the previous one um not really to be honest it's funny through business and like collaborations and partnerships with different brands and everything like obviously we've seen our fair share of contracts and agreements mm-hmm. laura um actually finished her law degree so okay she's amazing very helpful contra- <laughs> my music degree Read serves on. me well <laughs> yeah, look, i don't I have a degree so <laughs> Um, you're one up on me and um, but no so I I mean we just we just work through it and we and look not every contract we've signed has been amazing but like you learn so much every single time Um, and we were really excited to be able to work and with this agency and it just got to a point where for for both parties it was ready to kind of part ways and we really wanted to bring our dev team in-house which which we have and that's been a challenge in itself like obviously whilst we worked with dev teams before I'm learning every single day mm-hmm. um, about the back end. And how long ago was that? So that was the start of last year, mm-hmm. which was 20. I'm so bad since COVID, the years are yeah, like blending together, 2021. But even since then, I think, again, with the influencer owning business thing, if you do a licensing agreement for the first few years and people are managed by various people, there's like the dev team managed by yeah. various people, it's very different from then becoming a people manager and obviously still being the face to a certain extent. Yes. Like, of course, the business has its own legs and all of this, but yeah. like you are, you know, you yeah. are still content creating, you are still posting yeah. and all of that. And it, they're two very different types of jobs, but if you're if you own that company and if you're you can have great people managers in there, but ultimately if it's your vision and you want your vision to come to life, you're suddenly a people manager when actually, yeah. especially if you haven't had a kind of office job or whatever it might yeah. be, like it's no. very very different to it like is. suddenly go from like creating content to then being like I'm now managing the devs and like signing off this strategy. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine that's been a huge change. Huge, hugely. And I mean, it's it's one of the biggest challenges that we face like on a daily basis, but it's also super exciting. I mean, mm. one thing Laura and I both have in common is um, our openness and willingness to like learn. And we are never, ever sitting in a room. Um, we, we don't like to be the smartest people in the room, put mm-hmm. it that way. Like yeah. we've hired people to learn from them. And all, like really what they get from us is is to make sure everything aligns to the values, the direction, the goals, like all of that sort of stuff, of course, as you said, the vision for the business. And I love that, but I, I just love collaborating with them. And mm. I think that's something that I've I found really fascinating in myself because I think when we first started this venture and when the team started to grow, so much self-doubt came in because 
as I mentioned, I don't have a degree. I didn't even study business in school. Like I was not academic. I never thought I'd work in an office. I had girlfriends who were like obsessed with the idea of like wearing heels and a skirt to work every day and a shirt. And I was like, no, no, no. Like I want to be in my runners, like maybe with some kids or just outside, not in an office. Didn't see it ever. But now I love it. And it's not to say that I wouldn't love the latter either. Like I I love when we get to go on tour and, and, and work out and be in touch with the community. I love when we're doing our shoots. Like I'm so still connected with all of that, but it has been an interesting challenge and a really exciting one, managing a team and being a part of a team. I can imagine. And since that kind of moved beginning of last year, what have been the biggest learnings you've had in terms of running a business? As long as you're strategic about it, risk is a good thing. Like taking risks is a good thing. We've learned that time and time again. Um, I think something that has definitely been something we've learned over the years is that um, our gut is pretty much always right. Like there's been so many times we haven't trusted our gut or we've just gone with what someone else has said we should do, even though it didn't feel right. And like all of those times, it wasn't necessarily wrong and it wasn't super detrimental that we've been fine, but we've learned so much from them. And so I think that we are more connected with the brand and business than I think we we think we are. Yeah, no, <laughs> definitely. And I think you it's really hard to see your strengths in that way when it's not necessarily a, I don't know, as you say, you don't have a business degree. It's not yeah. something that you like write down in a strength in that way. But it's like, no, if you've formed this company over a good number of years, yeah. you know the customers, you talk to them every day. The ability to understand your customer that well is a huge strength. Yeah. And actually not many people other than you and Laura will actually be able to do that. And so really being able to lean into that, I think one of my biggest learnings was being like, oh, like that's a huge strength and you don't need to develop all of the other strengths in the world. No, exactly. As long as you can hire people to do things really well. Like I know where my strengths are on like product and marketing, but actually in terms of logistics, in terms of the finances, in terms of all of those things, I am never going to be the best person at that. 100%. It's about recognizing where your strengths are and, and where you can add value. And I think that was also something that Laura and I kind of recognized a couple of years ago was that we didn't really have role, role titles. Like we didn't have a title. We mm. just kind of worked across different things. Yeah, I used to give people the wildest job roles. Yeah. Like, like titles. <laughs> I look back and I'm like, that's not a thing. I mean, we restructure. Like it, you just have to do what works at the time, right? And the it got to a point where our team really needed to understand, yeah. like, who do I go <laughs> to? <laughs> yeah, for, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, like, do I have to get both of your approvals yeah, and everything? Yeah. Um, and we both... I think because we were best mates and we're so used to working with each other and we started off just the two of us, we naturally gravitated towards what where our strengths lay. And for me, that's like creative and um, and community and, and all of that sort of stuff. And for Laura, it's much more like on the finances and um, kind of organisational stuff. So we naturally just did that yeah. without ever actually making it a thing. And then we ended up having a role. So Laura's is our CEO and mm-hmm. she's smashing it she's so incredible um and and working her butt off and it's just been incredible to kind of see her blossom into that role and now we have these very different clear kind of directions so team members know if they're wanting um anything to do with like brand um well brand actually comes under both of us but if it's like a quick win for branding or colors or um design tweaks or social strategy um community stuff or, or as I said, I work really close to the dev team on the whole yeah. design of new features and everything like that. I'm kind of customer experience. And then Laws is the operations and running of the business and yeah. the kind of up Which top. is so handy. <laughs> I mean, to, to think that you guys met in the same background and have such complementary mm. skills to be able to build a business is just, I mean, it's the dream. It is. And we're so lucky. I think the biggest thing is that we are so lucky that we have, like our business partner is someone that we trust so mm. much like business partners don't always work out and a lot of the time when it's to do with like a friendship or when it when it's based off that it can be really risky but I think with our friendship we've always had so much like the utmost respect for one another we've both been so open and always kept communication open so if anything's ever felt a bit off or something that was a bit tension or anything like that which to be honest it really is but it's not to say we don't disagree we definitely have yeah. different brains but like, I think we're that's different healthy people. yeah 100% to challenge each other we've been able to overcome everything and I definitely couldn't have done it without her and I don't know if I could have done it with anyone else yeah like I don't I don't know of anyone else in my life that I feel like I can be as honest with mm. and trust mm. you know I'm so I'm so trusting of everything. If she's looked at it, I'm cool. Yeah. If she likes it, I'm happy. But I think also what we like what I really didn't give enough thought to was the fact that like in wider 
life mm. okay so you have a relationship with someone that's probably like a romantic relationship is probably the closest you get totally. to that similar relationship yeah. like you have to work through issues you have to work through good you have to work through bad you have to work with each other's emotions mm-hmm. you have to know how to give criticism you have yeah. to know how to take feedback like all of these different things that to me is the closest thing you can say to like co-founders yeah. or like a relationship between a founder and the ceo or the founder and the md or whatever it might be and if you think of like what we go through to spot a romantic partner thinking that that will work out in a business sense is actually a big fucking mm-hmm. like risk mm-hmm. and it's like so i get on so incredibly well with the managing director of tala and we were like an arranged marriage through like <laughs> recruitment yeah and the fact that that just worked out it's so good is I mean, thank my lucky stars. And like, she knows this, but like, we're so different. Yeah. But we're able to communicate so well. And we're able to like, we can have a really, really shit, or like one of us can have a really, really shit week. We can be pulling our hair out. Yeah. We know how to, like, there was a thing a few weeks ago that she had to be like, you're not giving feedback well in this. And it's fucking up the team. And I was like, oh but it's like so important and actually where else in your like working relationships would you genuinely be able to do that with a lack of hierarchy but also an ability to have a hierarchy over each other but also like it's such a complex thing and I don't think I ever truly thought about it and I always I remember (laughs) like reading a one of my first business books and I remember like there was just this chapter being like don't be a solo founder and Mm. I was like a little bit late yeah few years in but like since having great like managing director commercial director people I work Mm. really well with I can so see why like it's such a lonely strange Mm. job it's amazing in so many ways but like how can you rely on yourself to be able to like after an exhausting week or something going really wrong or you have a huge emotional attachment to something how can you rely on yourself to make a good decision when actually realistically you need someone to bounce off of and most people won't like talk back to you or say if something's a really bad idea if you're really passionate about it. Yeah, it's so important. That relationship is so important. It's not even at that level either. It's like within the team as well. I mean, you spend more time with these people, more often than not, you spend more time with your team than you do your loved ones. There's got to be some sort of positive culture there as well as like being challenged. But I mean, like I've had... I've worked in teams where I've had business partners that it hasn't worked out yeah. and it it wasn't right. And that was super challenging. Anytime there was a hurdle in business, it was really hard because it's we didn't we, trust each yeah. other, yeah. didn't respect each other, didn't trust each other. And so I feel like I've learned a lot through that. And I, I also count my lucky stars that I found Laura because yeah. it's been, yeah, it's been awesome. And I mean, like there's still so much to do. <laughs> yeah. If you were talking to the younger you that was had just gone to the US, mm. for example. She's there. She's ready to make it as an international supermodel. Mm. She's only getting three jobs. She's being told to lose weight yeah. and take up smoking, etc. What would be the biggest piece of advice that you'd give to her? If I'm talking to that girl, I would say, I know it's really hard. It's not going as you'd planned. And it is definitely going to be one of the toughest years of your life. But you are going to grow so much from this. Mm. And, like, magic is honestly going to happen from this. And I think it's one of those things that, Whilst, you know, a big part of what we do at Kick is to either help girls through that time or to help them avoid it altogether, falling down like an unhealthy relationship with food and exercise. It's like through that time, I, I wouldn't wash, wish it upon anyone, but also it's been something that's taught me so much about myself and so much about the industry mm. that helped fuel Kick from the beginning. So, And it also put you exactly where you needed yeah. to be. Yeah. I think like we always have this perception of our like goals and dreams as them being the right thing and like that wasn't the right dream for you. Yeah. Like you were able to make it as like an, like say even internationally yeah. in a completely different way, in a way yeah. that was much more suited to you and your yeah. mental health. Mm-hmm. And that's not a negative. That's like a huge positive. And actually you probably needed that experience to like yeah. show you that actually, nope, your path's slightly different, but it's still really great. Like, yeah. hold on, hang 100%. on in there. 100%. Oh, I love that. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks this has been me. such a good little chat. Yeah. I've really, really awesome. enjoyed it. Thanks. Um, very much enjoyed the trip down memory lane. <laughs> flexibility is great that's why there's yoga flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too that's why there's united healthcare insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company united healthcare insurance plans offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for medical vision dental and more One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. 